0: Do you remember like the dedicated hardware for like Game Boy or like N sixty four that you'd yeah. have to buy, like the Game, game Shark?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally remember that, and I remember that was like so much fun to get ninety nine Master Balls in Pokemon Red or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think it's a little different because like that was a solo player game, so like you're not ruining somebody else's experience. But I think this problem becomes a lot more magnified when you're playing against other people. Hey guys welcome to product explained a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them i'm your first host jeff lee
0: and i'm your co-host mike alcazarin hey jeff what's your earliest computer game memory
1: so i used to play age of empires 2 i don't know if you remember that game it's like a real-time strategy game yeah uh, i think created by like one of microsoft studios and i got so into that game that i was like creating custom maps like they had a map builder and I made one that ended up being like semi popular like in within that that online gaming community, which is kind of cool. And I think I was like ten years old at the time. so that's that's the one I remember the most just because it was like the first time I'd connected with other people online playing games.
0: That's amazing. I um recently during pandemic, I started replaying Age of Empires Two online yeah. um with my buddy Bryson, and he was the best player I've ever seen. Like, I, I was just like, I was barely like, you know, cranking Putzing out. Around. Yeah, I was like, you know, barely <laughs> getting started wood. in the game. It, exactly. And he had like built like an army and was like attacking and dominating the map already. I'm like, how are you doing this? I want to just like watch your keyboard and see what you're doing. But it's yeah. Just incredible.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Um, today's show, we're talking about Steam, a video game distribution service.
0: Yeah. So as Jeff mentioned, today's episode is going to be on, you know, video games, computer games, and Steam is a nice vehicle to, you know, kind of be our Trojan horse for that. So, you know, what Steam is, is it's a software platform that sells, distributes, and manages computer video games. So I think updates and all sorts of things like that on various platforms, you know, from Windows to Mac OS to Linux,
1: Android and iOS. Jeff, do you still use Steam? I still have a Steam account. There are just some things that I think Steam does really well. And we can kind of chat about that during a review. But one of the main things is that they support indie games very well. and I think they're one of the like earlier platforms and one of the more accessible platforms to support indie games. I know that now some of the like AAA, I'll call them like devices or consoles like Switch also has a really good indie game library. But you know, Steam is kind of the, the OG there.
0: Yeah, totally. I haven't used Steam in a while. I think the trying to think of the last game that i played <laughs> like on steam and i think it was just like one of the indie games and it, it might have been like early on in the pandemic when you know some of the old autodesk colleagues got together and mm-hmm. yeah. and, and, and played uh, a steam game but yeah like i i can't remember the last time that, that i used it but just talking through the, their customer experience so on the desktop experience you essentially download an app and then steam opens up into a whole desktop application. And you basically, the first thing you're greeted with is a a marketplace. So you can see different games. You can see all sorts of games that you want to purchase. You can also see games in your library as well as a feature that I like is, you know, friends that are online and Mm -hmm. you can communicate with them and, and chat with them and have conversations and also get a view of, you know, what your friends are currently playing. And there's all sorts of like ancillary like ecosystems off of steam one of my favorites actually is this website called steamcharts.com, which is just like an ongoing analysis of Steam's concurrent players. So you can actually you huh. know see all the games that are trending. So uh, it's, it's almost like a stock market chart, which yeah. is kind of cool. To your point, Jeff, if I was an indie video game developer, I'd love to just look at this and see what you know, what's hot. I think if you are able to build something really quickly, this might be a, a good canary in the coal mines, but it also shows the the top games by current players. So you can see like a chart history of the last 30 days and how many hours have played and the peak number of players, the current players. Like right now it's March 9th in 2022 and Lost Ark, Elden Ring, Counter-Strike, uh, Dota, Destiny 2, Apex Legends. These are all like the top six, seven games that are on here. And it's funny to look at like a game like... uh you know, let's say just call it Apex Legends and the hours played in the past 30 days is 147 million hours. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, just mind boggling. You know, it just t- takes me back to like growing up and my parents essentially yelling at me, you say, get, you know, get off the computer. Like, you know, it's it's never going to be valuable or like you're, you're wasting this way. And like now it's like so big and I feel like it's just so mainstream. We don't even question video games now.
1: Yeah, and I want to chat about Steam the platform. I think we'll probably focus most of today's episode around like the platform as a whole, but there's a lot of little nuggets that we can dig into uh, for future episodes. I think so far you've mentioned Steam's like main offering, which is this marketplace slash like, distribution system. But there are other things that are kind of interesting. One is that Steam had like an item marketplace that's been thriving for a long time. One example that I'll give is that some games had like loot crates and loot drops. You can like buy and sell items on there. And then like you mentioned stock prices. So I kind of thought about this, but item rarity drives prices. So I had a friend that like had these keys, opened some crates and Counter-Strike got this really rare knife and was able to turn around and sell it for like 400 real dollars. Oh, that's so- insane. And I think what's also interesting about Steam is that some of these things that they do really precede, I guess, like mainstream adoption outside of video games. This kind of reminds me of like NFTs where you have like a digital asset and the digital asset carries some sort of value depending on who buys it. Like it's just, at the end of the day, it's just like a digital knife, a digital, you know, whatever. (laughs) Right, Um, it's a bunch of pixels. Yeah, Like, and some, you know, some bits and bytes. But what's really cool about that is that Steam has been doing that for a long time. But now if you hear the buzz of NFTs, like people talk about the artwork side of it, but there's like a lot of other similar slash relevant use cases for this that have been around for some time. So I think that that's kind of like a really interesting thing that Steam's done. Another thing that I wanted to bring up is that Steam has had like an authenticator app for a long time. And I don't know why Steam needed to do this, but they have an app. I think it's called Steam Guard. And it does like a cycling six-digit alphanumerical code that you have to use to get back into your account, which is like very high security for a game distribution site. (laughs) But it's funny because it's like, you know, authenticator apps are now being widely adopted as like the security standard. Like Google Authenticator has an app and there's a couple other authenticator apps that people like to use, but mainstream security like putst around for a while doing like one time passcode and then multi-factor authentication and yada 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 and here we are everybody just ends up adopting what steam had already done like a few years prior so i don't know there's just stuff like that that i think is like really interesting that steam has really been the bleeding edge of mostly on this like video game crusade but the stuff that they have thought about has been adopted in other areas outside of video games yeah
0: and it's interesting to think through like the evolution and You know, my entry point into like really getting, you know, yelled at by my parents because I was spending too much time on it with video games was with uh, Blizzard and all the Diablo, StarCraft, Mm -hmm. Diablo 1, Diablo 2 games. And, you know, what you were saying about just like the item rarity is like, I remember that Blizzard had a marketplace likely before Steam or maybe it was at the same time. I don't know if Steam was Mm -hmm. around. I think Steam has been around for 20 years or so, but either way, like Blizzard was doing that. But I think one of the big differences why Steam has been able to scale is just it's open to not just a specific developer. You know, it's not just for Blizzard games. It's for, you know, to your point, like indie games or AAA games, like whomever can, you know, build and sell games and, and, you know, use Steam's platform. And because I remember like making those like dollar trades and trying to like see if there was arbitrage that I could, you know, just, yeah. you know, farm and just, you know, click through and try to find stuff and be like, oh, look, I sold this for like four or $5, like on, of real, like real dollars online. So it's interesting how they have been able to to find success. Um, what is your feature about Steam, favorite feature about Steam though?
1: I don't know. I think that like Steam doesn't do one thing that other, let's say like video game distributors or authenticators or digital asset marketplaces don't do. I just think that they were like one of the earlier ones to do it. Mm -hmm. So I think they're like pretty groundbreaking. There's another thing I'm thinking about, too, which is like they do a price alert for games, which is another thing that I think other like deal companies do. So I know we're going to talk about slick deals here in a couple episodes. But yeah, this is just like another thing that other companies have done in other areas. So I don't know. like There's not one thing that I'm like, Steam is the only one that does this the best. But Steam has done a lot of things first or early on. And I think that's really impressive um, for a company that wasn't initially meant to solve these problems. They like applied some pretty novel solutions to the issues that they had.
0: Yeah, totally. And we could talk a little bit about Steam's business model. I you know we've kind of been you know beating around the the bush here, but at the end of the day, Steam is a two sided marketplace. So they're making their money off of transaction fees from you know mostly from players buying games. So you know the first side of that two sided marketplace is. Um, you know, attracting developers and making sure you have a really strong platform and incentive for developers to come there. And, you know, they offer, you know, a tool called Steamworks, which I think is really, really cool where it's branded for the game developers, you know, and Steamworks is that set of tools and services that can help those game developers and publishers distribute the systems and sorry distribute the games um, on Steam. So it's interesting how they have that developer focus. And you kind of have to, because that's like the half of the equation for your entire business model. Yeah. And then on the other half is what Jeff and I have been talking about is that that customer facing side. So they've definitely been you know successful from a financial perspective. So and. 2017 they had about 600 million dollars um in revenue and so they're taking a, roughly a 30% cut is the you know data that i could find on what they're charging for a developer so it's just, it's really interesting how they've been able to just kind of build a, a monstrosity you know all these yeah. different features from like the community to like even their their hardware like and then they will talk more about valve but like also bringing in like the steam controller and some of the vr technologies in as well that seems like a A bit of a nascent bet for for Steam, but yeah, that's, that's Steam's business model in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, and I also now remember another thing that they've done, which is like Steam summer sales, which I don't think is necessarily like a product, but it's more of like a marketing play where every summer, and then they have a winter sale as well, there's like significant price cuts across a lot of games. So you might be expecting this awesome game that you've been waiting to play and it gets cut by like 70% off. And then you're like, oh, I'm actually going to pick it up. And this is why, and I think a lot of people that have used Steam have the same problem. There's a lot of games in my library I've never touched because yeah, there's almost totally. too many games for me to finish. But yeah, I just thought that was something that I wanted to bring up as well as like a kind of a core memory that I have of Steam.
0: Especially on Reddit, you know, it would just be yeah. like, like Steam sales happening, Steam sales happening and right. Like, I just spent $100 on, you know, games I'm going to play for 10 minutes because like, yeah. there's too much there's too much content there. Yeah,
1: exactly. Shifting gears a bit. So let's talk really quickly about the history of the product. I think there isn't anything too interesting here. The features in the product and the business model to me is a bit more interesting. But nonetheless, um, so the parent company of Steam is called Valve. They develop video games as well. They had the IP to a few well-known titles like Half-Life and Counter-Strike, which I think they had purchased from uh, another distribution company, or maybe they're a publisher called Sierra. They had some issues with updating published games. And one thing that was happening was that because there's like this online ecosystem and everyone needed to be on, let's say the same patch, they couldn't force everyone to update unless they took everyone offline for a couple days from play. So, and that was obviously an issue, right? Like when your main goal is to get people to play your game and add those hours, pulling the game down for like a week seems like in today's world is like pretty insane, so they decided they wanted to build a platform to better manage uh, the updating uh, of the game, and also do a couple other things like implement anti piracy and anti cheat measures because you know the integrity of the game is important. If you are playing on a platform and everyone's cheating, you don't you end up not wanting to play, and you want to pick another console where it's more difficult to cheat, right? So this is also another historical problem between console and pc where there's a lot more tools at your fingertips to cheat on pc so sometimes catching cheaters is really difficult versus console cheating has been like a lot harder to do because there's a lot more of a limited access to the games and such do you remember like the dedicated hardware for like game
0: boy or like n64 that you'd have to buy like the game 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 shark yeah yeah
1: yeah i totally remember that and i remember that was like so much fun to get 99 Master Balls in Pokemon Red or something. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But I think it's a little different because like that was a solo player game. So like you're not ruining somebody else's experience. But I think this problem becomes a lot more magnified when you're playing against other people. So if you, you know, just by like paying a little bit of money or finding some cheat are able to get a million dollars in game currency where it takes somebody else like, you know, six months to get the same amount. It's really an unfair advantage, right? So I think that's where Steam kind of stepped in as was trying to create like a level playing field. So they had approached a couple companies to kind of build this platform and they didn't originally think that they wanted to do it themselves. So they approached some pretty large technology behemoths at the time. They asked Microsoft, they asked Yahoo and Microsoft and Yahoo, of course, were like, "Mm, I don't really think that we should be doing this. They kind of declined the offer to build a client. And again, this is where Steam was like, well, we'll do it. (laughs) If nobody else is going to do it, we'll do it. We'll solve our own problem. And in 2002, during the Game Developers Conference, um, they had publicly announced and even released the beta for Steam. So people started signing up. Between 80 and 300,000 players participated in the beta test before Steam's official release a year later in 2003. I think that number, I got that number off Wikipedia. That number range is really large, so I don't know. That is massive. Yeah. um, But I mean, you know, in today's day and age, like 300,000 people in a beta doesn't seem like that much, but given the times around 2002, 2003, when the internet wasn't as, I'd say, like, widely available, I think that's really, really impressive. Half-Life 2 was the first game to require an installation of Steam to play the game, uh, even if you purchase retail copies. So I think that's a very interesting departure. And I wonder if this kind of like pilot would have been as successful if it wasn't for a well-known title like Half-Life. I think there's like a cult following mm-hmm. behind Half-Life. I won't even call it a cult following, but there's like a, a, a meme- lot of people. It's a meme have played, following. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot of people that have played the game and really enjoyed it and have been waiting for subsequent releases of Half-Life and Valve is the owner and distributor of Half-Life 2 and they also were managing Steam so they thought it was a good idea to kind of implement the two together.
0: Is this the episode that we announce Half-Life 3? (laughs) I
1: wish (laughs) yeah everyone always gets mad at um at the Steam founder his name is Gabe Newell I think but yeah they always like kind of troll and say Gabe is never going to release Half-Life 3. In the beginning of 2005 Valve began negotiating contracts with several third-party publishers to kind of release their products on on Steam And in general, Steam's sales were lower in volume than retail. However, the margins were much, you know, much greater, obviously, Mm -hmm. because you don't have to put physical copies in stores, right? So you kind of cut out a lot of that middleman by just distributing over this uh, series of tubes called the internet. Other leading publishers actually jumped in here. So Capcom started distributing some of the games in Steam in 2007. And Capcom was obviously and still is like a very well-known game publisher and was looking for a way to distribute their games. Fast forward about 11 years, in 2018, the service had over 90 million monthly active users. I really question that monthly active user number because uh, I like still have Steam downloaded and sometimes Mm -hmm. like it'll ping me for like deals or stuff like that. So I don't know what they consider as like engagement.
0: (laughs) You got a ping, therefore you are active.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's super interesting too. So like in grad school, during one of my business school classes, We actually did, it was my organizational or maybe a governance class, but we uh, actually did a case study, a Harvard Business Review case study on Valve. And it was really interesting because, and Jeff, I don't know if you knew this, but like at least in 2012, right when Valve was starting to get into hardware, like the case is framed as like, hey, you know, Valve is thinking about entering the hardware space and releasing this thing called the Steam Controller. Mm -hmm. But the organizational structure of Valve is no one has a manager. Hmm. And the entire company just self-organizes and self-allocates time without any management structure. So all 400 employees are just like, they, they call something called, I don't know if I say this right, like, cabals or teams, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, their desks have like, you know, wheels and they can literally just like slide around and basically huh. vie for like <laughs> attention for like, hey, like this is the project that I'm going to work on to to release. Um, And so like it's super fascinating like case study to just, and with the case study they actually published or they showed like the, uh, the valve handbook at the time to, that you can like read through and like kind of like start to make decisions of like, Hey, should we do hardware or or not? Given that, you know, that distributed workforce of like no one has a manager um, might work really well with software, what's a lot more fluid, but when you're starting to actually release hardware with these dedicated release cycles, it's a little bit um, harder, but yeah. um, I don't know if you had heard of that before. Where, like, I didn't. They, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, it's totally mind blowing to just think of like, you know, not having a manager and just like, imagine just like kind of like buying whatever for time. you want. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. It's exactly, it's, it's the ultimate like sales pitch and it it, it almost kind of feels like everyone's like a product manager, you know, where it's like no one reports to anyone. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like
1: totally and like best idea wins kind of deal. Yeah, t-
0: totally. Exactly. Um, but cool. Well, we can talk about who Steam is for. So, um, I think, you know, Steam is really geared towards, like, folks that like indie video games, but I just want to talk about, like, video games as a whole and, like, how much they've grown. Like, man, like, I just remember being such a nerd for playing computer games, you know, or just playing video games <laughs> in, in general and just um, – but I feel like it's just, it's just so ubiquitous now. Like, it's not even uh, – not even a question of if, if you're playing video games, it's just like, oh, like that's, that's totally normal where it, it feels like it was kind of like on the outskirts of like, you know, being cool or whatever you want to call it Like, mm-hmm. like back in the day. I don't know if I'm like, you know, over, over inflating like, or conflating like how I felt at, uh, you know, growing up. But <laughs> do would you agree with that? Or how do you feel about that?
1: I don't know. I, I used to think that like playing video games was like this like niche thing that like oh yeah only like a few nerds play but then i realized that like everyone was playing like pokemon red blue and yellow like everyone had had actually had like a game boy at some point and, and it wasn't just like the nerdy kids so i think that like some of it might be just like the way that you perceived some of the stuff at the time i will say there are some things i do consider like maybe a bit nerdier than others like i don't know if everyone made a custom map on an <laughs> online game uh, like age of empires 2 but surprisingly a lot of people have heard of and played age of empires 2 so I, I even think what i originally thought that was like a nerdy thing to do much more people that um i hadn't realized had actually played that game i think that in general what you're seeing now is that playing video games is like less of a taboo thing and a very commonplace activity it's on par entertainment wise with like listening to music or watching movies you know i think that it's like an accessible thing that a lot of people are doing and yeah it just doesn't feel as taboo anymore for sure and i think this like large ecosystem of like games that are being produced and distributed that that's like really really helping
0: yeah t- totally and you know I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head um I mean, the data that I have here is like two thirds of the U.S. is playing video games, like 227 million Americans play video games, um, which is mind blowing to me. And, you know, if, if you look at the global spend on video games in 2020, it depends on like how you, you look at it. Like from the U.S. point of view, it's about thirty three point five billion dollars expected to reach forty five billion dollars in 2026 with mobile games making up pretty much two thirds of where people are spending money on Um but if you look at the global industry from 2006 to 2020, you know, in 2006, the gaming industry was an $8 billion industry, and now it's a, you know, $160 billion gaming industry globally, which is just mind-blowing. It's actually um, bigger than Hollywood. So if you think of, like, all, like, the like, how much revenue, like, Hollywood takes in, the gaming industry is doing that like, as well. So it's like, you know, you could think of, like, what Valve's doing is, like, you know, Warner Brothers or, like, MGM yeah. or, like, some other studio that, like like turns out videos i mean that's even a bad analogy because they do specific movies but it's just like super fascinating how like much growth that it has and it's actually still growing it's the fastest video games are the fastest form fastest growing form of entertainment globally and in the u.s so i think that there's a ton of room to uh (laughs) to grow and to continue grow so yeah
1: um i think just the production and the distribution cycles are just so much faster than like traditional media i think that's like well maybe not like the production like it takes many years to create a video game now and it it, it, equally takes many years to film a movie but i think the distribution is just so fast maybe you can make the same argument for distributing directly to like netflix or disney plus but there's no like update or patch for a movie you know like there's not like a hey here's like 10 minutes of additional content that like we didn't have before whereas a video game you could be like cool we've essentially made some changes and now the game is effectively completely different and you get like much more hours of enjoyment out of it so i think that's where it's like kind of interesting and people are like willing to pay money or pay subscriptions or do whatever to uh to continue enjoying these games Let's switch gears really quickly and chat about some competitors. I think early on, like there was no one like Steam. I didn't think of anybody that was like distributing games the same way that Steam was. They were kind of like one of the first ones. However, to your point, and you mentioned Blizzard, I think now there's like a lot of other companies, softwares that are doing this exact thing. Origin's one that comes to mind. I think they're in Mm -hmm. partnership with EA. They also distribute games like Apex Legends. Blizzard is on that list. I think primarily Blizzard does most of their own games riot games famous for league of legends they have their own client as well but again i think they're only supporting their own games so i think there's this like question of like do we only support the games in-house that we've actually built with our own client or uh do we kind of branch out and do this like what you mentioned as a marketplace system where we sign deals with other companies and we distribute their games on their behalf because they might not have their own platform so like a capcom doesn't have to like build like a I don't know, Capcom Net or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, for people that go and download and update their games. Cool. So let's chat about our thoughts. I'm happy to start first. I think that what Steam did really well was they kind of broke ground in a lot of really interesting technologies. You can argue whether or not they needed to do some of these things. But I think specifically around like video game updates and, you know, building a platform around ease of distribution. I mean, you can't really argue against that it probably accelerated the growth of video, the video game industry by just making it more accessible for people to download something online like steam and then be able to purchase update and play uh all the games that they might want instead of having to like go to a best buy browser store i mean think about it this way like even with a company like amazon where you can buy a video game while you're in your underwear at home just <laughs> waiting for that thing to like come to your house is just like not not a rage inducing yeah exactly so i think that that's one thing that's really interesting about steam is that they really shortened the i guess like the pathways from the publishing company directly through the distributor directly to the consumer so i thought that was all really good i will say though that like now steam doesn't feel like they're leading in any particular field there it's not like they're my go-to for all my games it's not like I think what they're very good for is, like, they have a very good indie game ecosystem. However, I think, again, like, other consoles do this pretty well now. Like, I mentioned Nintendo Switch. Like, you can find a lot of indie games there that are, like, meant for Switch. I I I think Steam does a lot of really good things. I don't think that there's any, like, one or two titles that I have to go to Steam for. I think they have a really awesome indie ecosystem. They have a really good modding ecosystem, workshop ecosystem, etc., and I think all that's really great. But I think for most people, they don't need that. So I'm going to give Steam like a 3.7. I still think that if you're looking to play games that are maybe a little bit older, that don't have their own distribution, that, you know, you just want to play and enjoy on your own, Steam's a great place for you to like set up an alert or look for a summer sale, pick up a game that's on sale that you've always wanted to play that might be like a couple years old. So I think that's where Steam is like the best fit.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think like I'm, I'm right in the same ballpark as you with my rating i think i'm going to go with um a 3.65 just because i have to <laughs> average out my ratings to be a little bit lower than yours jeff since you're <laughs> since mine are averaging higher than yours no but seriously 3.65 for me i think what i really like about steam is that they essentially i see them as kind of like emulating the video game platforms like the or sorry the console platforms onto pc where like but previously in the pc world like you had all these different like games that were kind of in a silo in their own ecosystems, like the blizzards of the world where like you, you never like talk to someone that wasn't playing a blizzard game and it brings it all into the same platform. Similar to like why, like the value of like why you have like a Microsoft Xbox network or you have, or sorry, PlayStation network and then a Microsoft Xbox um, gamers network, whatever they're calling it, um, Xbox live. And so it, i really like that, how it kind of like ported and made it like ubiquitous for, for PC gaming. But I think we're, it's like almost interesting where they doesn't feel like they have like that sustaining differentiation where like all of the features that they've created are kind of like, you know, are being copied or they, I don't know. It doesn't feel like they're as novel as they as they once were. I wonder like what the next innovation will change. Like maybe, you know, the next beachhead for them is AR and VR. And maybe like they'll become like this common platform for all these people that are competing for like these closed wall ecosystems. Like, you know, imagine if, you know, Facebook or Meta creates like the, the Metaverse and like that's the only platform you can go on and versus like Steam might be this open platform that anyone can can develop on. But I think for me where it just lacks is just that freshness. Yeah, but I think, you know, when it first launched, like some of the features were like, you know, five star products like just mm-hmm. totally changed the game. So a lot of kudos to the to the team there. I, I think it's just may, maybe in need of a, a refresh. And um, I'll have to do some research after the show to see if they're still not reporting. If, see if their organizational structure has changed at all. But <laughs> I thought that was super interesting that they that no one had managers. But cool. Awesome. Definitely a a trip down memory lane for me. I'm thinking about playing my (laughs) former video games like Dust Off My Diablo. Actually, the last anecdote I'll say is I was in Best Buy this past weekend and I saw a Command & Conquer 3-disc remastered 4K set selling for $149.95. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I was just like, wow so many memories here from this game that I played and I would never spend $150 on a remastered set (laughs) anyways um those are our thoughts on steam and we'd love to hear from our audience so please continue engaging with us on you know on twitter on instagram all the places on social media we we love hearing what what you want us to review next and just the general engagement so you can find us at prodx podcast that's p-r-o-d-e-x podcast
1: Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.